Awesome. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Just like Noah said, my name is Clayton, and I'm the senior pastor here at Central. I'm so glad you guys are here with us. If you're a guest, thank you for hanging out with us. If you're online, thanks for uh, being a part of what God's doing um, here at at this church. And before we get going, man, if, if you'd like to take notes today, you can scan the QR code with your phone, iPad, whatever you have, and you can have the notes uh, for today's message. I hope you guys have had a really good week. Um, this week, I've been spending a lot of time in my garage trying to clean it out. And that's just been kind of my thing and uh, something I've been trying to, to get done this, this week. And I think, you know, every, everybody has a garage for, for one reason. Maybe you put your vehicles in that garage. You might put your stuff in that garage. Or you might use your garage to, to you know, have to work or, you know, do things, do projects in your garage. Well, I'm trying to do all three of those things in the same, same space. And, and so I've been like rearranging my garage this week and cleaning out stuff. And, and it's not just like moving a little bit of stuff around. I'm, I'm trying to move like freezers and uh, giant tool chests and like a thousand pound gun safe and moving it around. And I was like the Egyptians. I used like PVC pipe and like rolling it across the floor. I mean, it's genius, right? Um, YouTube. Okay. YouTube taught me that. So uh, I, I've been trying to clean it out. Um, but with the Oklahoma weather, like we usually put our, uh, one of our cars in the garage, Holly's car in the garage. And yesterday, we didn't know what the weather was going to be like. I mean, we were looking on the, online and seeing everything. And so Holly's like, I've got to put my car in the garage because it's been outside all week. And yeah, poor Holly, she's roughing it. And so, um, so uh, she pulls up to the house yesterday evening. I got the garage door open, and I'm just like, I'm just like chunking stuff out of the way, right? Like partying the waters, trying to create this space for her to, to put her, her car in the garage. But, but I, I love a, a clean garage. I love it when it's like organized, and I, I kind of like my life that way, just clean and efficient. I don't know if you're like me or you just like clutter and stuff everywhere. I can't, I can't handle it. Um, it's just, just my thing. It's a problem I've got. Um, I, I don't know what you, you want for your, your house or for your family. And I don't even know if, if God really cares so much about if your house is clean or, or dirty or clutter-free or it's got a lot of clutter. I don't think that's the purpose of, of God, God, what God wants for your family. I do know one thing, that God, he wants your family to thrive. And I know there's a lot of people in here, and a lot of people probably watching online right now, who have things going on in your life. Your family is struggling for whatever reason. And usually, it's because of personal decisions that have been made. Things that you should have done and you didn't do. In this series we've been going through in, in Ruth, these Three keys to a thriving family are great concepts for us as individuals. And if we can get some of these right, it'll go a long way to us having families that are thriving. Two weeks ago, we talked about having this great attitude. We looked at the book of Ruth and Ruth and Naomi, they stuck together. They had the super glue kind of attitude. No matter what you know, came in their life, they were, they were sticking together. Last week, we talked about being risk takers. And, and in, our, in our lives, in our families, there's some, there's some risk taking that we need to have. And risk taking is actually when you're putting faith and trust in God for the results and saying, God, I believe you're calling me to do this. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I can't predict everything, but I'm going to trust you. And so you take a risk for your family, for your family's future. And God's like, go for it. I've got this. We talked about that last week about how Ruth and Naomi, they, they took some risks for their family's future. Well, today we're going to be talking about what it means to be rescued and 
one of the biggest concepts of, of having a thriving family is that every single person in that family has an opportunity to be rescued. Or another way of thinking about it is to be redeemed. Several years ago, um, Holly and I, we, we took a loan out for this car, and, and it was so long ago. I used to go like, into the credit union and, and pay at the teller like, each month for, for, the, for the loan. And so I would do that every month, and I would just go in there and, and pay um, you know, a little bit. And so one month I walk in there, and I'm waiting in line, and, and all of a sudden it cleared. And I, and I went up to there, and I said, hey, my name's Clayton, and I'm here to, to pay uh, this month's you know, portion of my loan. And so I you know, signed my check, and I handed it over to, to the lady, and she looks at it, and she's like, why would you do this? I'm like, what are you talking? I'm, I'm trying to pay, <laughs> pay for, my, for my car. It's my car payment. And she's like, what? There's, some, there's something wrong. I said, I, I, don't, I don't know what's, I mean, I'm here. There's my ID. You know, this is me. You've seen me before. And she said, why would you pay for this? It's already paid for. And I was like, yeah, yeah, April Fool's or whatever. Like, is it April Fool's? And, you know, like trying to figure out what's going on. I'm thinking there, there's no way that it's paid for. You got the wrong person. So um, we're checking, you know, the accounts and everything. And she goes, I don't know what to tell you. Someone came in yesterday and paid for your car. And I'm like, amen. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and I, was, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I was just taken aback. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if I was supposed to thank her. I don't know what to do or hug her. I didn't know what was going on. But it was a Come to find out one of my, my good friends came in and paid for my car. And I was thinking, man, how, how incredible that example is of, of what a redeemer is. A redeemer is someone who, who pays for something. And they pay a steep price to, to rescue someone who is in debt. And to, to redeem someone literally means to, to buy out someone who is in, in a bad situation. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. In fact, we're going to look at this concept in the Old Testament of a, of a family redeemer. And a family redeemer is a, a person in the Old Testament who had a responsibility to come to the rescue of a family member if they were in, in a bad situation. It could have been they, were, they found themselves in poverty, uh, their property was being um, foreclosed on, there was, they had money issues, they may have found themselves in, in slavery, there was maybe a wrong that had happened to them and they were seeking justice, um, they were trying to be protected, they needed protection from something. A family redeemer would come in and provide that rescue for them. And sometimes it even included marriage when there was a widow in the situation and they were stuck there a, a family redeemer was called to come in and and marry that person if they could to provide that source of protection and relationship for them and what I love about the Bible is even like this old old story we're, we're looking at even in if you sit in it long enough you sit in these ancient stories you get some incredible like life-shaping truth that bubbles up to the surface if you sit long enough in it. And these truths are real for us today, for you and for me. So today we're going to dive into this idea of redemption and, and, and a redeemer. And the first thing we need to look at is we need to kind of go back and look at how, how Naomi, she introduced Ruth to somebody. I don't know if you caught this in the stories of the last couple of weeks, but Naomi, the mother-in-law, introduced Ruth, the daughter-in-law, the widowed daughter-in-law. She introduced her to her family 
Redeemer. And she said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust this person. And I want you to be patient. And I want you to wait for them to respond. And as you ask yourself, how can my family be a thriving family? I think the end of Ruth, this story we're going to look at today, it teaches us one principle that we need to kind of talk about first. And it's this. That the greatest impact that you can make in your family is to introduce them to their Redeemer. Beyond the care that you can provide for your family, beyond the money, the inheritance, uh, taking them on vacation, uh, teaching them how to hunt and fish or become an adult, the most important act of love that you can give to your kids or to your spouse or to um, anybody in your family is to share your faith with them. I think for a lot of us in this room, you might be thinking about some people that you know right now in your family that you know that they're far from God and you need to share your faith with them. But we love to stack up excuse after excuse for reasons why we don't share our faith. But Naomi did. She introduced her daughter to her daughter's redeemer. And it goes on to change their life. So last week we met a guy named, named Boaz. Y'all remember Boaz? And he's the owner of this field. And we left him um, fast asleep. I mean, he was just knocked out in the last part of our story. You, you ever had like a nap like that where you said, hey, it's just going to be 15 minutes Sunday afternoon. It's going to be done. And like five hours later you wake up and you don't know who you are or where you're at. Like anybody have one of those kind of kind of naps? Well, that's what Boaz, Boaz is, he's fast asleep. He's been asleep all week waiting for us to come back to the story, okay? He's, uh, he's on the hay, on, in, in the thre- on the threshing floor. He's got his blankie over him. And Ruth shows up and she, she is laying at Boaz's feet and she pulls the cover off of his, his feet and puts it on herself. And he wakes up and, and she says this to him. He says, you are my family redeemer. And that was a huge, impactful statement. And today I want to look at Boaz's reply. So you get your Bibles, Ruth chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at, the very end of Ruth chapter 3. And then we'll jump into uh, chapter 4 for the, the rest of today. But look at, we'll have the, the scripture here up on the screen. But Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, here's what happens. This is Boaz's response. He says, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there, there's another man. There's another man in the picture, right? Ooh, right? Another man who is more closely related to you than I am. So stay here tonight, and in the morning, um, I will go and, and talk to him. And if he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. So to understand this a little bit more, we got to realize that, that there was kind of an order to be in a family redeemer. And whoever was the closest relationally, um, to, to you could be your family redeemer. There's like an order. And so Boaz understood that even though he was a relative of Ruth, there was someone that was closer um, in, in relation um, to, to Ruth. And so he says, hey, I would love to do that, but we got to, I got to go ask this other person first. He gets, he gets dibs, so to speak. Okay, that's kind of how it was in their culture, right? So here's the next day. Here's what happens in Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Boaz, he went to the town gate and he took a seat there. And just then the family redeemer that he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Now, in our culture, if you want to have like a, a business meeting kind of, kind of thing, where do you go in, a pu- in, in public to do that? Like 
evergreen, okay? So you go to, you go to the coffee shop, right? Or maybe you go to a, a restaurant. We, that's what we do in our culture. You go to those places because, of, because it's convenient, it's, it's kind of centrally located, and there are other witnesses around, okay? That's, that's where you go to have, have business. Well, the town gate back then was not just a single little gate, but it was this area where people would, would congregate and where business would happen. It's like the, the modern-day downtown coffee shop. And so Boaz realized that, hey, if I'm going to find this other guy, this other relative, I need to go to, to the coffee shop because he goes by there every single day. And so he finds himself at the town gate, and here's what happens in verses 2 through 4. It says, then Boaz, he called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to, to sit as witnesses. So he, he gets a crowd together, and it's like, we, we got to conduct some business here. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. And if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let, like, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the mayor replied, Man, all right, I'll, I'll redeem it. And I think it's because this, this guy, we don't know this guy, and he goes on into obscurity, but he evidently knew some scripture. Because in the Old Testament, in the scriptures they had, in Leviticus 25.25, there is this rule, this law that says this, that if one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. That was like a rule. And so that, that was something they understood they were supposed to do. And so this guy is like, hey, I know I need to do that. This is, could probably be a good thing for me, get some, get some more assets in my, in my family. And so he, he wanted to do that. But there was a catch. There was a catch because it's, being a family redeemer is not just about money and property. It's about a, a relationship. And look what happens in the very next couple verses. Then Boaz told him, now, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth. Like, there's, there's, a, there's another part of, of this, okay? There's, there's something attached to it. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and, and keep the land in the family. And he says this, Then I can't redeem it, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land I, I cannot do it. See, this guy, he wasn't willing. He was only looking maybe at his own interests. We don't know what's going on in his life, but he was only looking at his own family. Because when you redeemed someone and you went and had, had children with that person, um, the, the, the deceased relative, it was, it was all in their name. So it's not like someone you brought into your family. You're you protecting that other part of, of your family. And he said, I'm not willing to do that. I take the land, but I don't want the relationship. So look what happens in the next couple of verses. Now, in those days, it was the, it was the, this is weird, okay? It was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal um, and hand it to the other party, okay? So this publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer, he drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. So this was, this was the, this is like a modern day handshake. Or like you were going signing something, you were getting it notarized. This is what they would do. They would take off their sandal and they like trade sandals. It was super weird, but that's what they did. Okay, so this is this, this um, agreement that is, that is happening. And I think it's important to realize this guy, he failed in his responsibility. But Boaz was a, a good, faithful man. And look how the story ends 
Start in verse 9. Then Boaz, he said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. So he says, hey, I'm going I'm I'm to do this. And he goes on in verse 13 and says this. So Boaz, he took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. And they end up having a, a child. And verse 17 says, and they named him Obed. Now get this. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. That's pretty crazy. This is how the story of Ruth ends. A family that is that is in despair. But yet they become a thriving family because they had this incredibly strong bond that no matter whatever, whatever happened in their life, they were sticking together. They had this tenacity. They were willing to take some risks. But ultimately, they became a thriving family because they were rescued from something. You see, for Ruth and Naomi to not have a, a family redeemer equaled the end for them. They were going to have to sell everything and their family name, everything that they had inherited was going to be gone and their family name was going to be erased. And so their future was not looking very bright. They were probably going to have to, you know, be homeless. They would probably have to go into begging. They might have to resort to stealing and even prostitution just to survive. This isn't a story of a, of a mother and a daughter and they're just they're living life and they're going to they're gonna make it and they're, they're making a living. They had no social safety net like we have today. They had nothing. And desperation was sinking in in their lives because they knew without a family redeemer they were done. They needed a rescue. And the same situation is for us. I'm not talking about money and property and all those kind of things. But we need a rescue. If you look in the New Testament in Ephesians, here's what it says. It says, in those days you are living apart from Christ. I want you to think about this. If you are a believer in Jesus in this room or watching right now, if you say, you know what, I have trusted in Jesus If you're a believer in Jesus, this is your story. This is your past. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. And you lived in this world without God and without hope. That is your story. But hope has come, hasn't it? Hope has come to the world through, get this, through Ruth and Boaz's family. And that's what this story is all about. It's kind of crazy. I don't know if you guys, when, if you were having kids, you know, you're, you're, you're planning your family, you get family planning. You're like, you know what, here's how it's going to be. You know, we're going to wait till this, this long, this, we're to this age, we're going to have three kids. We're going to have three kids. It's going to be first a boy, and it's going to be a girl, and it's going to be another boy. And so they're going to be, the girl's going to be in the middle so the, the boys can protect the, 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 their sister. And they're going to be three and a half years apart. You know, it's perfectly separated. So when they're in high school, they can all have the same car and not have to buy like three different cars. Like you have, this, you have this perfect plan. Does it ever work that way? No, it, does, it never works that way. It never, it never turns out that way. God just laughs at our plans, you know. But I think that God, and we see this here, he is into family planning. 
He's into planning how families are formed and the lineage of families. And it's really interesting at the very end of this story how we looked at the, the genealogy. We looked at, you know, this guy named Obed and, and his, his, who his son was and who his, who his grandson was. It's pretty cool. And we didn't read all of this scripture, but if you look in, in Ruth, it starts to list off a lot of people. And, and it's interesting that this genealogy is in here. And I think it's, there's a reason why it is. It's to remind us of something. Thousands of years later is to remind us that, that God's redeeming hand is always at work. It's always at work. Not just in that story, but also right now. God's redeeming hand is still working in every single family. You see, Ruth, she had a son named, named Obed. And Obed was the grandfather of David. And throughout the lineage... You end up, Scripture says, you end up with a guy named Joseph and Mary, and they have Jesus. And I put this up on the screen just to, to kind of just help you to see where, where all this fits. And I would say where your story even fits in this story. That God has a plan for redemption through this family. You see, this is crazy. So Obed, this guy right here. So Boaz and Ruth's son, Obed, he stays in Bethlehem. He inherits all that land, okay? And he has a son named Jesse, and Jesse inherits all that land. And Jesse had, had eight boys, and the youngest of those boys, this little runt guy, y'all know his name? David. He becomes the king of Israel, and he is born in Bethlehem as well. It's his, it's his hometown. And you fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years to, to a, a pregnant Mary up in Nazareth who is about to marry a guy named Joseph. They have, they're betrothed together. They're engaged together. And Joseph is a descendant of this family. And so when he has to get registered, you know the, the, the Christmas story, they have to go back to where? To Bethlehem. Why? Because it is the, the city of David. It is his hometown because of this story. All the way back to Ruth. And so Mary, she gives birth to, to a descendant of Ruth, of Boaz, of Obed, of King David, and his name is Jesus. Why do I tell you all that? For this one truth. Jesus is our rescue story. This whole thing about Ruth is all pointing to Jesus. This redemption story is all pointing to Jesus. Because you and I, we may not have a, a, uh, a situation like they do where they are in these financial straits. But you know what? Every single one of us has a sin problem. We have an incredible sin problem. And it's a problem because we can't solve it on our own. Sin makes us spiritually dead. And I don't know if you've talked to a dead person lately, but they can't do anything for themselves. There's nothing that a dead person can do to fix the situation they're in. And the same goes for spiritually dead people. They can't solve it. They need a rescue. Look what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1. It says, talking about God the Father, he has, he has rescued us from what? From the kingdom of darkness. And he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And what did his son do to create that redemption? He purchased our freedom and he forgave our sins by dying on the cross. You see, Jesus is the rescue. And the Bible can be summed up into this, this one sentence. Y'all ready for this? Jesus didn't come to make you better. 
He came to bring you from death to life. The story of the Bible is not a a story of you becoming a better person or God helping you in this life to give you this comfortable life. The story of Scripture is saying that you are dead in your sins. God did not come to make you better. He came to take you from death to life. He is our Redeemer, and that is the good news. What this means is that Jesus, he paid the price for every single one of us. And I don't know if you heard that a thousand times or the very first time, but you need to hear it today. He paid the price. I'll go as far as to say this. He is the price. The cost for you to be rescued is Jesus. And he is enough. He is sufficient to cover over every sin of every single person who would accept that covering. Now that's different than God just giving you a ticket into heaven. You know, when we get to heaven, we use, like, we use our, our phones that have like the face ID. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be like you get up there and they got the scanner and you put your face in there. You're like, hmm. You're like, oh, Clayton, man, you're a good person. You, you make your way in. That's not what it's going to happen when you get to heaven. What's going to get to happen, he- heaven is you, when you are a believer in Jesus, you're going to grab Jesus' shoulder and you're going to step out of the way and you're going to put his face in front of that screen. And it's going to recognize his face and that is going to be your ticket into heaven. You see, the Bible isn't you coming up with and figuring out this secret code to, to make yourself right with God and get, get into heaven. The Bible is saying that, that Jesus, he is, he is that secret code. He is that password. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can gain. It's saying that he is that. He is our redeemer. And that's an incredible truth today. That's amazing. That, I think that should make us so thankful that we get down on our knees and say, thank you for doing that. But I also think that it's teaching us something today. Something about ourselves. And it's this. You're valuable. That understanding of what Jesus did for you shows just how valuable you are. And I would say this, your family is valuable as well. Your kids, your spouse, your brother and sister, your parents, they are valuable. Your worth the Son of God dying. I want you to think about that. If you think that you aren't worthy, that you're not lovable, that you're so damaged that that nothing can fix you, the Bible says, think again. God loves you. And Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10. This is crazy. He says this, for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, for even the Son of Man, he came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. So what is Jesus doing now? He's waiting for you to choose him, to come to him, just like Ruth did in the story. Think about this. Before Ruth even knew her redeemer, her redeemer was blessing her, providing the field, taking care of her family before she even knew him. And then a family member of hers, Naomi, introduces Ruth to her redeemer. And she goes to her redeemer. She lays at his feet in humility and says, I am nothing. 
Like, I need help. I need you to be my family redeemer. And he steps in and saves her. Do you see the parallels here between Ruth's story and our story? Just like Ruth, we must put ourselves at the feet of our Redeemer in humility and say, I need you. I need you. Do you want to know how your family can thrive? Two simple things. Choose Jesus. I think so for so many of us, we're always about trying to fix other people. When truth is, is we need to be fixed. We want our families to, to you know, follow God and go to church and all those things. But for us, even personally, we say no to that. When it comes to your family thriving and living in such a way that you, you, would, you just dream of, the first thing that has to happen is you've got to choose Jesus yourself. And if you have done that, you know what else you need to do? You got to do everything in your power and in your position to introduce your family to him. You see, I, I believe God is at work in every single family. Do you see how he's at work in Ruth's family? It's crazy how he's loving them and providing for them and, and, and caring for them and, and even setting up this redeemer and this redemption story. God is also at work in our families as well. And today is a part, of, a part of that story. For us to either choose him for the very first time or to tell our family about him. You see, every single family that is thriving in this life has a redeemer. And his name is Jesus. And the question today is, for you personally, do you know him? Or maybe the question is this. Are, do, are there people in your family that know him? Are there people in your family who are far from him and don't know him? What are you going to do about it? In fact, I want to invite you to stand to your feet for just a second. I, I want to give you a, a chance to, to respond to this. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute, and we're going to pray first. And as soon as we finish praying, I want to ask you to respond to this. Maybe you need to choose Jesus for the very first time. In fact, I'm going to be standing right here down at the front. I'd love to talk with you and hear your story. And maybe today is the day you need to do that. You say, you know what, I've been trying to fix my family, my fix, trying to fix my life for, for far too long, and I need, to, I need to trust Jesus myself. I see that. I can't save myself. We choose Jesus today. For, for, I get it, most of us are probably believers in Jesus. But I also know this, you have people in your family who are far from Jesus. You have people in your family who need to hear about Jesus. And I want to open up all these steps right here for you to come down here and to, to pray for that family member. Maybe it's an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or parent, grandparent, a kid, a sibling. I want you to pray for them, but I also want you to pray for yourself that God would give you the opportunity and the courage to tell your story. That they may hear about a redeemer that loves them. God, thank you that you are a redeeming God. That we, although we are 
dead in our sin. We are dead people walking around. We can't fix ourselves. You have come and paid the price through your son, Jesus. I pray for anybody right now, either online or here in this room, Lord, who needs to trust in Jesus, to choose him for the very first time. I pray you would convict them, they would respond. They don't have to have all the answers, but they feel and know and are convicted of their sin and they want to choose you, God. I pray that they would do that today. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room who we have, <laughs> we have people that we dearly love who are far from you. I pray for them right now. God, that you would soften their hearts and that you would put people who are followers of Jesus in their lives. And the truth is, God, you've put us. you put us in their lives. And so we have a part to play in that. Help us, Lord, to have opportunity and the courage to step in and tell our story and leave the results up to you. Help our families to thrive, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, we want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, and that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.